Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Every summer in Chicago, the sunshine spotlights the city's spectacular skyline, its luxurious lakeshore, marvelous monuments, and the over 200 neighborhoods in the city. And it also brings to light two of the greatest sports franchises in the world. On the north side, it's the Cubs. On the south side, it's the White Sox. This is Crosstown Crosstown. Hello and welcome to another very exciting episode of Crosstown Crosstalk presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi and my favorite team has finally won three straight games. Yay! The White Sox are 30 and 31 and then you Cub fans, you guys are on a nine game losing streak. Great times in Chicago. The Bears are going to come in last place. The Blackhawks are looking for the number one overall pick next year. The Bulls are pretty good. We'll see what they're able to do in the summer. But, or yeah, in the summer for offseason moves. But for the rest of the summer, in terms of actual games being played, we just got our two baseball teams. And I know it's been a little bit White Sox heavy over the last week or two. So I decided I'm going to take a full 360 and bring in somebody who I know to be a very knowledgeable Chicago Cubs writer, fan, and everything in between. Of course, I'm talking about Jacob Meisner of Cubby's Crib of the Fan Sided Network. Jacob, how are we doing? Oh, you know, another day. Cubs are uh, already down 3-1, so we are uh, taking aim at 10 straight losses. Let's just keep that rolling. You mean to tell me the Cubs are losing right now? They were just winning before our little intro there, were they not? Yeah, you see, that that's how we like to do things. We like to really make you think things are going to go okay in the first inning, and then it just all falls to pieces as the game progresses. Okay, so that's perfect. Before we get into that, I did want to say thank you very much for coming on. Of course, Cubby's Crib is of the fan-sided network's MLB division. I run Southside Showdown, the White Sox version of the same exact website and it's just really cool to get the two of us i think on screen together at the same time and i'm very thrilled to have you here yeah no it's been a long time coming i know that uh you know occasionally we just have to trade barbs on twitter over our respective teams but now we can come together out of just this mutual frustration of where both of our teams are absolutely and i'm sure you look at the White Sox similarly to how I look at the Cubs. They're the other team in the, the same city. But, of course, National League, American League. It does suck to me a little bit that the two New York teams are ruling baseball right now. That's got to bother you a little bit right now, right? Because Chicago's better. Yeah, I mean, Chicago's better. That That's a no-brainer. It, yeah, and I feel like with – especially with the Yankees, like having to go into the Bronx last weekend, get swept, you know, watch Anthony Rizzo, somebody that – you know, I feel like most Cubs fans thought would be a Cub for life, you know, vibing with his new team. And they look like the team to beat, like you said, in the American League. So it just rubbed salt in the wound. Like a, a weekend sweep's bad enough, but to do it on national television and have a former fan favorite, you know, contribute to the to the cause was not great. Yeah, that's not great at all. So, of course, I got to lead off. I know it's not the most positive thing to lead off with, but when we talk Chicago baseball right now, it's usually negative anyway for both sides of town. So I'm going to ask you, what is going on with this Cubs team right now? Because we expected it to be like a pretty subpar season. They traded away all of their key contributors on offense. Their pitching staff hasn't really been as good as I thought it was going to be coming into the season. I actually liked the rotation in spring training, but it hasn't worked out. Now they're on a nine-game losing streak. They're on the path of it becoming 10. What is actually wrong with this team right now? 
you'd be hard pressed to find things that aren't wrong with this team right now, but it starts with starting pitching for me. Um, injuries have just been constant the whole season. Um, Marcus Stroman has not been the guy we wanted him to be, be simply because he hasn't been healthy enough. Uh, Wade Miley has been really solid when he has pitched, but he's only pitched a handful of times. Drew Smiley, another veteran guy who, who profiled well, like you look at Miley and Smiley in the off season and adding them and you think, great, if they just stay healthy and pitch okay for the first few months, you can trade them at the deadline. You knew that's what they were. Uh, but now it, like, you don't even know if you're going to be able to get anything substantive back for either of them because they've been hurt. Kyle Hendricks has been dealing with a shoulder thing and he hasn't been anywhere near what he used to be for almost two full years now. Um, yeah, it's just, it has not been good. Justin Steele has been looking better uh, since he had a call with John Lester about changing how he attacks hitters. So he's looked uh, pretty good back-to-back seven-inning starts. Uh, so you'll take that, but just, it, it's the injuries. They pile up, and then you're pulling guys out of the bullpen to fill those spots, and then the bullpen's getting overworked, and that's when you see, you know, a complete meltdown like we had uh, earlier this week. Um I mean, you saw it last year, too. The pen was great early, got overworked. Um, you're going to see more of the same. Absolutely. And you kind of alluded to it a little bit with Stroman and Hendricks, Miley. Are you of the opinion that even though you didn't get the full feeling of these guys this season, obviously Hendricks is probably considered a fan favorite in terms of all-time great Cub status, but would you trade them this season if something came up? There is nobody on this roster that I wouldn't trade right now. Because at this point, you're not going to win this year. You're probably not going to win next year, barring a dramatic change of thinking from ownership. Uh, you know, like I said, if they want to go out and drop $150, $200 million in free agency, great. But I don't see that happening based on recent trends. Um, but yeah, I think everyone's fair game right now. Um, I think the one that's really going to hurt is Wilson Contreras. Um, he's the last core position player holdover from 16. I mean, he he checks every box. He is just lighting up leaderboards, like any statistical measure, especially offensively for catchers. He is head and shoulders above everybody else in the league. Uh, but instead of building around him, it's sure looking more and more like he's going to be the you know the latest in a long line of Cubs to get shown the door. It's funny. Wilson Contreras was actually the very next bullet point that I had down to follow up that question with because I think when you talk about the Cubs – in the 2022 season, it's the number one trending topic right now because he's the best player on this team left over from that 2016 roster. He's a fiery guy. He clearly wants to be a winner and a champion in Major League Baseball. It sounds to me like you're leaning towards him getting traded. Would you, though, if you were in charge, or would you like to see him signed and extended? And if they do trade him, what kind of return package are you talking? Well, I think... First, if I were calling the shots, like we wouldn't be having this conversation. Like Wilson would have already been extended. Like it just maybe two years ago, I would have entertained it more. You know, the thought of trading him because you had Miguel Amaya, who was seemingly on the rise and you felt pretty good about what he was going to be. But he's just hit setback after setback where now you don't know what he's going to be. Um, there is no depth left in the system as far as catchers go. So, like, what are you going to do? Trade Contreras and then trot out P.J. Higgins? Nothing against P.J. He's played great, but he's not somebody I'm going to build my team around. Um, you know, I, I do like the returns the Cubs got in their trades last year. Um, I mean, you saw Caleb Killian. Uh, he's made a couple starts now. Uh, Pete Crow Armstrong, who came over in the bias trade, has just been tearing it up um, at every stop in the minors. 
So I like what we've got in return so far. So I feel good about Jed's ability to, you know, to maximize Contreras's trade value right now, but it just sucks. I mean, you're a big market team who, you know, you're not putting your money where your mouth is. You're still charging game day prices that are among the highest in baseball and asking fans to sit there and smile and be happy about it. So just a, just a tough look. Do you believe that the Cubs made a mistake by not trading Patrick Wisdom and or Frank Schwindel during the offseason when they probably had a value that was as high as it'll ever be and a contender might give you something for them to be their eighth hitter or something? So I actually think Wisdom has done a pretty good job of building off what he did last year. I don't mm-hmm. think his value's gone. I, I think it's maintained pretty well. Um, Schwindel okay. just started brutally slow, but he's been he's picked it up since then. So... I don't think you were going to get somebody to give you what you would really want for Schwindel last year. Um, you know, he's a 30 year old who got hot for two months. Like teams are going to recognize that and they're going to want to see more. So I don't really think they've hurt themselves by not trading either of those guys. Um, Wisdom's been really solid with the glove. You know what he is. He's, he's that new mold of player. He's either going to hit the ball 450 feet or he's going to strike out. Um, but he gives you really solid defense. He can move around a bit. He's actually playing first today. He's played in the outfield a couple times in the last week, plays third. Um, so I, I think that there could definitely be interest in him out there. Sure. And hopefully for the Cubs sake, they're able to get something for those guys. Because if you're trading Wilson Contreras and you've already sent out Bryant, Baez, Rizzo, I mean, if you could get something for a Schwindel or a Wisdom who was on basically nobody's radar two years ago, wouldn't you say that that's a win for the Cubs? Yeah, I mean – yeah, there's no logic in holding on to these guys. Like I said, they're they're not, you know, 25 years old where you think, okay, they might be heading into their peak. They're both 30. Like, it's downhill from here. Unless, yeah. you know, unless you're Nelson Cruz, who seemingly does not age at all. He just pounds homers left and right. Like, get what you can now. If you're not planning on competing next year, why hold on to these guys? I know that they have long-term control and they're cost-controlled, which makes them appealing, but, like, I don't know. If you're serious about building a winner, I don't think you build around those two. Sure. And to me, there's nothing AJ Pollock could do for the White Sox that'll make the Craig Craig Kimbrell trade be considered good for them. I know he's been hot and Madrigal's had a tough start to the year. Cody Hoyer's out for the year. But I think even if Cody Hoyer comes back and is a really good setup man, that'll even make the trade 150 million percent work in the Cubs' favor. But as of right now, what's your actual analysis of Nick Madrigal? it's so weird because this is a guy who back to high school has never had trouble putting bat to ball at any level, whether he was, you know, high school, college in the minors his brief big league career. He's always been able to make contact and, and, you know, put the ball in play. And this year it just has not been that at all. Um, You know, I, he just hit the IL again. I'd like to think maybe he's been dealing with something that, you know, that, has been throwing his approach at the plate off um, as a former first rounder. I, you know, when, when the trade went down, I was thrilled with it. I, you know, to get Hoyer and Madrigal for, for Kimbrell, like that's, that was a win for sure. Um, yeah. I don't know. He just has not been the same guy. And that, that's been one of the biggest surprises to me. He was the one guy I was like, all right, this, we know what we're going to get. We're going to get a guy who hits around 300, doesn't walk a whole lot, but he puts the ball in play. Um, and he's been anything but what I expected. I think for some reason when people talk about Nick Madrigal, they think of Nico Horner in the same breath because they both are kind of around the same age. 
pretty sure they're the same draft. Um, both middle infield working the double plays. Both of their names start with the word Nick. It's just, you know, they, they kind of are two peas in a pod for me, but they've kind of gone in opposite directions so far this season. Madrigal has kind of not been putting the bat to ball, which is the one thing he's been like truly advertised as good at. But Nico Horner has been really good, I would say, wouldn't you? Yeah, he's hit the ball really hard. Um, there were a ton of questions whether he could stick at shortstop uh, coming into the year. And, you know, because Cubs fans were all in, they thought Carlos Correa was going to be a Cub, um, which could still be a I thing. I still think that. Yeah, at the end of the, you know, do it again next year as if Correa watch version one wasn't bad enough. But uh, Nico's come in and he's been great. He's been one of the best players on this team, uh, bright spot and an otherwise dark picture. Um yeah, I mean, he's, he's shown way more pop. He definitely bulked up from when he first came up, which has been good to see. So that's, you know, there's going to be your your power. For him, it's all about staying healthy. He's got to stay healthy and stay on the field. Um, but he uh, he's played really well this year. The Cubs have a decent bullpen sometimes. Would you agree with that statement? I would say they have a decent bullpen the majority of the time, um, except for the last few days where it's all kind of come off the rails. Um the one thing that, that Jed Hoyer has done well and Theo did it well before him was find these veteran guys, sign them to one-year deals, and just find you know a diamond in the rough, if you will. Um, they don't all – they aren't all home runs, but like a perfect example of that this year is David Robertson. Dude hadn't pitched in a couple years, and now he's just nails out of the back end of the bullpen. Um, and as a 37-year-old who is in the twilight of his career, has zero long-term value to a team like the Cubs, with, like is absolutely going to get traded, assuming he's healthy. Um, and then now you're finally, finally starting to see some young arms that the Cubs actually developed uh, make an impact. Um, yeah, I've been happy with the bullpen. The problem for me, again, has just been starting pitching. When the starter, starters aren't eating innings, you're rel relying too much on those bullpen arms, and at a certain point, they're going to get overtaxed, and you're going to see guys start to wear down. And I'm worried that we're already hitting that point, and it's only mid-June. Sure, and you got Robertson. A guy like Efros comes to mind, too. Oh, yeah. Besides Wilson Contreras, the bullpen seems to have the most value on the trade market, I would think. Is that possible? Yeah. Oh, I would say so for sure. I think that like a Michael Givens could be on the move. Uh, Chris Martin, um, those types of guys uh, are definitely going to be available. I think they'll shop starters. Um, I don't know what you'll be able to just scrounge up for them. Um, yeah, I think the the back half of the I've heard Stroman like think about trading Stroman, but he's not healthy now. So I don't really see that being a thing. Hendricks you're selling for pennies on the dollar, which you would have got two years ago. Uh, yeah, it's tough to sell from a from an area of weakness, that's for sure. I in no way mean to compare Kyle Hendricks to this guy because he just seems to be a much nicer dude overall. But in terms of just pure overall pitching, I get Dallas Keuchel vibes from Kyle Hendricks. Like they both were soft-tossing, pinpoint accuracy, paint the zone, and then once the stuff started to like – be slightly less accurate or the command was off a little bit, it becomes batting practice to a major league team. Is Are we in the beginning of that process for Hendricks? I hope not. Uh, I mean, like he just came back uh, after not pitching in a few weeks and was great. Um, Cubs fans were irate that David Ross pulled him early, but again, you hadn't pitched in two weeks with a shoulder issue. You're not going to push a guy. Um, I think Hendricks can still, I don't think he'll ever be what he was. I mean, this guy won an e ERA oh, title. Um, so good. 
like so good. He, when when the Cubs were at their peak, like Hendricks was the guy I wanted to pitch. I more than Lester, more than Arietta. Hendricks was the dude that I knew was going to go and pitch, not throw. And there's a difference. I've always appreciated, you know, Cubs fans always have this affinity for Greg Maddox. So Hendricks always drew that comp. Um, I don't think with Hendricks, we're quite at Dallas Keuchel yet. I hope we don't ever see it because that would be terrible. Um, You'd hate to see a guy like Hendricks, you know, it's kind of like when the Cubs brought Arietta back, like the last experience with, as a fan you have is this, guy who is clearly a shell of his former self. Um, I, I don't want that with Hendricks. He started, you know, some of the biggest games in Cubs history. I I think he'll still be solid, but he's more of a probably a four on a good team now as opposed to an ace. Sure. Is David Ross on the hot seat? No. No. Anyone who thinks that David Ross is the problem behind this team does not know the big picture. Like, you are giving last year. How do you expect him to win? Anything of value was traded at the deadline. You're not going to win. If anything, he should be praised for getting what he got out of guys like Frank Schwindel or Patrick wisdom, like to even keep that team remotely competitive on a daily basis after trading Baez, Kimbrell, you know, Rizzo Bryant, the list goes on and on and on. Like that was remarkable. And this year you've piecemealed a roster together, refused to spend like the big market team you are, um. yeah, you're giving him a, a, a flawed roster and asking him to make the most of it. And then that flawed roster has been decimated by injuries. So it doesn't matter who would be at the helm right now. Nobody's going to be able to do much with this roster the way it is. I honestly appreciate that answer very much because I love David Ross. And when they first hired him, I wasn't a big fan of it for the Cubs simply because it felt like a boys club type of move. Like how can David Ross manage Anthony Rizzo and, you know, multiple players that he's won a championship with. It didn't feel like a manager. It almost felt like a friend, but now that this roster is just almost completely turned over and they're all young people blaming him. I'm like, I can't believe what I'm hearing right now. He's actually gotten the most out of this group. If you think about it outside of this nine game losing streak right now, but Hey, if they put up a competitive game against the Padres right now, they're back within one. Like, I don't know. I, I think David Ross does a good job. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying he's, you know, he's not without fault. Like nobody in this, this big picture right now is without fault, but he is not the driving force behind the cup struggles. Like you cannot drop that in his lap. Sure. And I have a question from the chat here from drive secure two, four, seven. I have a question for you guys. Is Brennan Davis done for the year? Friend of the show, Brennan Davis. Yes. Yeah. Brennan. Yeah. He will not play again this year. I would be shocked. Um, Last I heard he wasn't playing again this year. They'll look at him again next spring. Um, Yeah. It sucks. That was like kind of the one of the bright spots as a Cubs fan. You knew there was a good chance you were going to get to June, July. Contreras was probably going to get traded along with anyone else of value. So like thinking, ooh, okay, but maybe by August, Brennan's up. That'll be exciting. Well, you know, we'll see him, maybe see Caleb Killian up on the mound. Um, that was kind of exciting, but I yeah, doesn't look like that'll that'll happen this year. Yeah, those are supposed to be like the really fun parts of rebuilds. Like you trade away X player and then so and so comes up like I remember when the Sox traded away Frazier and they called up Moncada. Like that was like the greatest day ever. And I'm kind of sad for Brendan Davis. I like him a lot. Hopefully he's able to get healthy and make an impact next year. Well, um, it, it was kind of surprising because 
it was just two weeks ago where we learned he actually had back surgery as opposed to like he just had you know you hear about ball players all the time like ah, i tweaked his back his back's not right so like going from that to he needs like surgery to repair an issue it, it, it was a big jump um so yeah given where the cubs are it doesn't i know people want to see all these young guys it does not make sense to rush somebody like brennan davis when there is nothing to play for this year yeah absolutely so there are some young players to still look forward to obviously one of them you you touched on a little bit earlier this year or earlier in the show caleb killian made a couple starts made his debut against the st louis cardinals couple weeks ago what's your overall thought on him so far how did his mlb debut go in your estimation and what's the future for this guy yeah i mean i think that you know trading away somebody like chris bryan is tough um you know he homegrown drafted wins rookie of the year wins world series wins mvp you know it just the, the honors just kept coming um but when you get somebody like killian coming back in a deal who I mean, at AAA, he has just dominated this year. Like, he has just overmatched anyone you put up against him. Um, the Cubs did say this morning that he's actually going to stay in the rotation for the time being at the big league level. So, Killian's got great stuff. Uh, he did not pitch great last night, just did not. He couldn't spot stuff the way you'd like him to. But, uh, again, to your point earlier, like, when Moncada came up for the Sox, like, yeah, there were ups and downs when that happened. There are going to be ups and downs with Killian. But it's really exciting to see a, a power pit, you know, a good quality arm who's as young as he is come up and get to work through all that stuff in a season where, again, there's nothing at stake. You have nothing to lose by letting Killian ride at the big league level and get that experience and head into 23, you know, as a as a top contender to grab a rotation spot. Like, that is an absolute win-win. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, seeing good players come up on this team has kind of been – what fans have been hoping for a lot this season, one guy that actually has exceeded expectations, let alone lived up to them, is Christopher Morrell. You touched on him as well on Twitter earlier today when you said he's one of the main reasons Cubs fans should be tuning into games right now, despite losing a bunch in a row or the record, whatever the case may be. Morrell's been amazing. He had a home run today for his second home run, the second game in a row with a home run, put the Cubs up and give them a chance to win. What has been your take on him? He was kind of a wasn't he like in the twenties in terms of prospects? In yeah, the yeah, he was never like a, he, he, unless you were like really in the nitty gritty, like he was never a guy that you penciled in when you were thinking about what a 23 or 24 lineup could look like. Like he was not in that picture. Um, the dude made the jump straight from double a um, and just from day one has just ground out at bats. He fights. Um, he's shown good pop again, opposite field shot uh, today. Um, he, he just plays with this infectious energy that, I mean, it's always important. And I always like seeing that on the team, but especially on a bad team, I think it's even more important. I think you've got to have that guy who shows up and is hungry and is excited and is ready to get down and dirty and do whatever it takes to help the team win. And he's been that guy. Um, I hope it continues. That'd be amazing. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of prospects come up for a cup of coffee and, light up the light up the league only to level off and fade into oblivion um i'm somebody who likes a much larger body of work but to this point i have nothing bad to say about him he's a class act he brings energy excitement um and it's kind of terrifying to think just how much worse off the cubs would be if he had not come up and done what he's done you bring up he went from double a straight to 
the big leagues. How does that happen? How does a guy just skip the Iowa Cubs in outright? Yeah, that tells you uh, how our uh, organizational depth is at the upper levels right now. <laughs> um, I mean, Morrell was playing really well. Um, he fit the profile of what the Cubs were, were looking for while they were battling uh, some middle infield injuries. Um, yeah, what's great is he's versatile. He can move all over. He was, they were battling injuries up the middle. They were battling injuries in the outfield. Um, so to have a guy who's versatile and can bounce around the diamond who – you know, it really put together good at bats at double A this year. Yeah, it's just one of those things that the Cubs system is much better than it was, but it's a lot of low level guys. It's a lot of 19 and 20 year olds. Um, so a lot of those guys aren't up at Iowa yet. Um, there's definitely not that pipeline that there there once was. And speaking of other prospects, are there two or three prospects in the organization as a whole where they might still be in low A or high A, wherever they may be, that excite you the most when you think about the future of the Cubs, I'm like, that guy's going to be in the lineup one day. That guy's going to be a starting pitcher one day. Do you have any of those? It could be the well-known ones, maybe an underground one. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, Pete Crow Armstrong has been a dude. Um, I actually work with a couple Mets fans, and they are furious that the Mets came off of him in the bias trade last year, um, especially after the Mets didn't even, you know, they didn't even extend Javi. He went yeah. on to Detroit, which – you know, if you're a Mets or a Cubs fan, maybe that's for the best, given how how bad his struggles have been with the Tigers. Um, but yeah, Crow Armstrong's great. Uh, he's a little banged up right now, but you know, everything he's done this year has been fantastic. Um, we've already talked about Killian. I think is going to be something really special. Um, not maybe a traditional rookie, based on you know how you look at it, but we have not seen a lot of Seiya Suzuki this year. I mean, he got off to that really really hot start. The league adjusted and he cooled off dramatically. And then he jammed his finger sliding into second against Cincinnati. And he's been out since um, that was supposed to be a guy this year. Um, Cubs signed him to a five-year deal. So some people will argue with me that he shouldn't be considered a rookie because of his career in Japan. But, you know, by all official standards, he's, he is still one. He's going to have the same learning curve that a guy coming up from the minors is going to have. Um I think in the second half, getting him healthy and getting him back on the field and letting him work through is, you know, there are going to be weeks where he looks totally overmatched and he's going to have to learn that game of adjustments. Um, and I think getting him some serious playing time down the stretch will be a huge piece uh, if the Cubs want to have any shot at competing next year. When Seiya Suzuki first was really dominating, did you think that there was – a possibility that he would cool off the way that he did, or did you kind of ride the wave thinking, okay, maybe this guy could be in contention for the National League Rookie of the Year? And do you think when he comes back, it still could be the case? So, yeah, like when he was hot, and I mean, he was like scorching earth hot. I mean, there was nothing this guy couldn't do right. You knew he was going to cool off. Like it was just a totally unsustainable pace. Um, unless you're like Jose Ramirez, like you just don't go on those stretches. Um that being said, I still thought that even with the ebbs and flows, he could be an NL Rookie of the Year. Um, I think if he comes back, you know, by Fourth of July and then plays the last three months and plays really well, I think he could still be in that conversation. Um, yeah, like I said, he's a he's a key guy. Five year deal. Um, he's clearly in the long term plan. Um, you would think the Cubs are, are back and competing within the next five years, um, unless everything goes wrong. Um, yeah, I, I think he'll be a, a key guy to watch. He's He's got a lot to work on, um, but he's got a really good eye at the plate. He's great at grinding at bats and working counts. Um, 
He's been solid in the outfield. Just a matter. They talked this week. They shut him down for five more days while uh, his finger quit swell, keeps swelling. Um, and they said, like, look, five days isn't going to matter. Like, we need him at 100%. We're going to wait till he's 100%, and then we'll let him play. Um, and I think that was the right call. Are you happy that the Cubs made that signing, or were you a little confused? Like, why now? No, I, I think it's, you know, I think it makes a ton of sense. I think that hopefully um, he is taking over, you know, and right on a daily basis when he's back. Uh, Morrell can be in center, Hap and left, um, and you can just ride that trio the rest of the year. Again, that's assuming you don't trade Hap, um, who to this point, you know, he's been a switch hitter who was pretty much only good from the left side, and all of a sudden he has figured out how to hit from both sides really, really well. Um, so you know that there are going to be teams asking next year's his last year of his of team control. So he's definitely a tradable guy, but I think Suzuki is going to be your everyday right fielder for again, the next four and a half years. A while back, the Cubs made that huge splash signing. It was before winning the world series, obviously of Jason Hayward. And they gave him a lot of money and you knew giving him that kind of money, there were going to be lots of expectations and he was going to need to get playing time. And it was also for a lot of term. They won the World Series. We all know about the speech after the rain delay, and he was incredibly valuable with his glove. He did have some big hits. There were some years where the offensive numbers were better than people would probably guess looking back based on the reputation that he has now. Does watching him play now annoy you, or are you just so thankful for what he's given? Because to me, it's like, how can you not be thankful for at least the one, two years that he really – You could have told me that Jason Hayward had to suit up in right field until he was 60 years old. If it meant we got a World Series, I would not have cared. And I still don't. Um, That being said, like the time has come. It's just going to it's better for the team. You cannot trot him out every day um, with the numbers he's putting up and then look at fans and say that you care about winning. You can't do it. Um, He's lost a step defensively. He doesn't run as well anymore. Um, I mean, heading into today, he's got a 63 OPS plus, and that comes on the heels of a 68 OPS plus last year. So like the number, I'm a big numbers guy. I will always appreciate what, you know, what he did for this city, what he continues to do for the city. He does a ton in the community that, that you don't see or hear about. Um, that is just as important as what he's done for the Cubs on the field. Um, but you know, I think at a certain point, just, you come to that fork in the road and I personally think the Cubs have been at it and they just refuse to, to take, to swallow that tough pill. I personally love hearing Cubs fans talk nicely about Jason Hayward because there's something about a guy who wins a championship with your squad, who, even if they were a depth piece, a middle of the pack type player, that's how I considered Jason Hayward after seeing some of the numbers early on in his Cubs tenure. He was a pretty good player for a long time. Gold gloves are no joke. Obviously, you play good, solid defense. It goes a little under the radar because then when guys start playing bad in the outfield, then you're like, well, what the heck? But, you know, I like hearing what you said about Jason Hayward. So it sounds to me like you would not take anything back, obviously. But Jed Hoyer does not like to use the term rebuild. Do you agree with that? Or are the Cubs? Yeah, no, he won't touch that with a 10 foot pole and neither will uh, ownership. This is clear. You, Yeah. That, that's probably the most frustrating thing for Cubs fans is 10 years ago, a little more than 10 years ago now when Theo and Jed came in, they, they said like, this is going to hurt. This is going to be brutal. We've got to tear it down, build it back up to get to where we want to be. And that made 
all the difference with Cubs fans. I think it would with any fan, you know, White Sox fans or any other franchise. Like, sure. just tell us. Don't sit here and tell us, like, we're, our goal is to be competitive this year. The roster the Cubs assembled is not competitive. It's just not. I know injuries have been a huge piece of it, and I'm not I'm not discounting what that's done to the you know to the team's plans. But like, you can't you can't feel the payroll you're fielding, and then look at fans and charge them more for tickets and concessions and everything else than any other franchise, and then tell it, yeah, we we want to be competitive. You don't just tell us that. Tell us that it's going to be a couple years. We got to reset the organization the reception you're going to get is going to be better than just blatantly lying to fans. I get that completely. Just tell us, tell us the truth. Don't lie to us. We're not stupid. Um, the Cardinals and the Brewers, you watch the NL central a lot. Obviously they come to town, you go to their towns. Which one of those teams do you think is going to end up taking the crown of the NL central division? Putting you on the spot here, I know. Yeah, I think it could still go either way. It's clearly a two-horse race. Um, I'm more prone to say the Cardinals because I feel like they have their weird, their weird Cardinal voodoo magic that they pull every year. Yeah. Well, what was it last year where they ran off that insane winning streak toward the end of the year? Um, I mean, Paul Goldschmidt though is just a monster right now. Tommy Edmonds playing really, really well. You've got Nolan Arenado. Uh, Miles Michaelis is pitching really, really well again, which is, is big because he had that breakout year and then kind of just stumbled for a couple seasons. But he looks locked in again almost through a no-hitter this week. Um, yeah, I think I'm going Cardinals. Yelich has not been the same guy he was when Milwaukee, you know, really burst onto the scene back a few years ago. I think without him in that lineup, it's not nearly as deep. Um, their pitching is still otherworldly. Um, the stuff of dreams, but... Um, I, I think the Cardinals are, are just a, a more well-rounded club. I love their new manager. Um, and, yeah, as a Cubs fan who spent m most of his life watching the Cubs get beat up on by St. Louis, I never discount the Cardinals. That makes sense. You made me think of a question that's a little off topic, but I do want your opinion on it. There were those two seasons there where Baez, Yelich, and Bellinger from the Los Angeles Dodgers were the three best hitters in the National League, and it really wasn't close competing for MVPs. What happened to those three guys? Why do all three of them in a matter of one year go from being like three of the 20 best hitters in the league to just seven hitters? If that man, if I had that answer, I would be working for a team somewhere. Um, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's wild, it's absolutely wild. I mean, Baez obviously is somebody I watched every single day, and yeah, like you understood, he was a free swinger. Um, he was going to chase pitches out of the zone, but he was also going to have days where he was going to go four for four, steal two bases and make three insane plays in the field. Um, he just, you just, you knew that and you were fine with it, but this year it's just been so bad. Um, chasing the power has not been there. Um, yeah, that's tough. That's tough for him. That's tough for the tigers. It makes it a little easier to swallow as a Cubs fan. Um, none of the guys that, I mean, Rizzo's playing decent. But like none of the guys that that the Cubs traded last summer are going out there and just dominating. That would have been tough. Like if Chris Bryant had 20 home runs right now playing in Colorado, or you know, you know, Javi, you know, Javi being Javi up in Detroit, um, which as a Sox fan, I'm sure you're not too upset about seeing. No, no, do that. No. Um, you know, that would have made all this tougher. But it seems like the Cubs maybe got out at the right time on those guys. Um, again. It's always tough. 
because, you know, as writers, you know, part of what we do is try and look at things logically and rationally and, and try and explain why the front office might be doing certain things. But on the, you know, on the other side of the coin, like we're still fans, like we're still tied to our emotions. We still don't want to see somebody like Anthony Rizzo, who literally was here from when the Cubs were at the very bottom all the way to winning a world series. Like you don't want to see that time end. Um, but yeah, Baez, man, I, I got nothing. Just woof. Yeah. It's honestly crazy to me because if Baez, Rizzo, and Bryant would have went to their new clubs and dominated, and then a guy like Madrigal comes over and starts to struggle with the Cubs after being a really good contact hitter with the White Sox, we saw what happened to Jason Hayward when he came to the Cubs. There was this like speculation going around. The Cubs just kept firing, hitting coaches and throwing blame around from guys not hitting. But I think Baez, Bryant, and Rizzo have kind of proven to me at least that it's not the – organizational philosophy for the Cubs for me. It's just that some guys just aren't great hitters anymore. And you've seen guys like Morrell and Schwindel and Wisdom. Those guys have been hitting. So why doesn't this bad Cubs philosophy hurt them? It's just like those other guys we mentioned haven't been performing the standard. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you saw, again, the, the hitting coach role and assistant hitting coach was just a revolving door. Yeah. Like you, you're going to hire somebody in November and you were going to fire somebody in November. Like yeah. that's just how it was going to go. Um, and there were, you know, rumors and reports that some guys just weren't willing to to adopt or to adapt different approaches and change their personal style at the plate. And at that point, it doesn't matter what your organizational philosophy is. If players aren't going to do it, it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, I, I yeah, I never really bought into that because on the same like it's the same organization that developed these guys and turned them into what they were. So it's hard for me to sit there and then take somebody opinion where they think that the Cubs are ruining hitters. It's just, it doesn't gel with me. Yeah, I completely agree with you. So before I let you go, I do got to ask you, if you were in charge, how would you move this team forward? Obviously continuing to rebuild, probably tank the rest of this season. I don't know if you buy that kind of stuff, but like, hey, if you can get a better draft pick than even the Reds, like that'll probably help along the way. I'm not sure, but you know, moving forward, what would you do? Yeah, I mean, I would extend Contreras. You need somebody to build around. You have to have that guy. He's proven himself not just being a clubhouse guy, which he is. He's great. He, Like you said, he wants to win above anything else, but he's backing it up. Um, you know, and then it really just comes down to, you know, the Cubs are a, a massive franchise, like uh, one of the top five most valuable franchises in the league by a pretty wide margin. They're worth oh, $4 billion. Act like it. Ownership can't win a World Series. And then Cruz, like the Cubs have been just piecemealing their approach to supplementing that core even before they traded him off. There was never like substantial hard-hitting additions that you're like, yes, I feel good about this. It was like, hey, we're going to run it back with a few different tweaks and see what happens. And yeah, you can't – it just drives me nuts that, that the Cubs are middle of the pack in payroll, but, you know, the Ricketts family has no problem building a new sportbook attached to Wrigley Field or, you know, they've got – they own the whole neighborhood now. They've got hotels. They've got restaurants. They own the rooftops. Like Chelsea. Yeah, just what yeah. was it Chelsea they were trying to buy in the Premier League or oh, so well noted. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's it's just a it's a bad look. Like if you're a large market team, you like you've reset expectations now. The days of the lovable losers, like that's not gonna fly with fans anymore. You've got to put your money where your mouth is. You had no problem raking in all the praise and, and you know, affection from the fan base in the wake of the World Series. 
well, now it's time to face the music because we're in a very different place and you and you alone have the tools to change it and you need to do it. I know I said one more, but you made me think of something I got to ask you really quick. I'm, I'm looking at the TV right now. There are a lot of empty seats at Wrigley Field. Like it is not fully packed like it once was, but I feel like before winning the World Series, when being the lovable losers was okay, that place would be packed. It's a Thursday afternoon game. The Padres are in town. It's warm. Get your beer. Let's go. Now that it's like, you know, the the they won the World Series. Cubs fans know what it's like to cheer for a winner. And the fact that they're not putting their best foot forward, it's like fans seem a little disgusted more than they once were. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're not taking it. Like the days where you could just have great weather and fill 40,000 at Wrigley are gone. That's never coming back. And it just – Cubs fans feel so alienated by their own franchise now because for generations, you turn on WGN anywhere in the country, you can watch Cubs. Now you can't do that. Now you have to have marquee, and then that means you have to have certain cable or streaming services. And then you've got people who refuse to switch, you know, how they get TV and thus can't watch the Cubs. But then, you know, what, what's your other option? Go to the game, watch a crappy on-field product and get, you know, raked over the coals for what it costs to take a family to a ball game. Like it's, there's just a lot of lose, lose scenarios that fans are finding themselves in and they're just done with it. Yeah. That's honestly crazy. I never thought we'd see this day of people just not packing that place on a Thursday afternoon game. But, hey, expectations breed, you know, that type of result. And that is what it is. But, Jacob, I can't thank you enough for coming on our show. It has been incredible talking Cubs with you. Everybody needs to check out your work where. Uh, yeah, you can follow us uh, at Cubby Scrib on Twitter, CubbyScrib.com. Um, we've got a lot of uh, great writers Um What's great about, you know, and, and you can attest to this too, what's great about the fan-sided network is it's, you know, I can write something taking a stance on, on you know, whether or not they should trade Wilson Contreras. And the next day, a writer could have a totally different opinion. So you get a lot of different viewpoints, a lot of different voices. It's a great place uh, for fans to hear from fellow fans. Um, so, yeah, come and check us out. Absolutely. Make sure you go to CubbiesCrib.com and read all of Jacob's work along with his contributors at CubbiesCrib on Twitter. Jacob, I can't thank you enough for coming on. We'd love to have you on later in the summer to do this again. And everybody, we would like to send you to a quick commercial break. Zim, Joe, Vinny, and Gonzo. Join these White Sox fanatics every Monday night for the South Burbs Hitmen. You're going to be treated to great guests, top analysis, smart debates. South Burbs Hitmen with Zim, Joe, Benny, and Gonzo only on the Barroom Network. And welcome back to Crosstown Crosstalk here on the Barroom Network. Jacob Meisner, thank you so much for coming on our show, talking Chicago Cubs baseball. I mean, we're talking things like prospects, everyday players. Why is this team on route to winning or losing their 10th straight game? Nobody knows, but they're going to figure it out. There are some rumors. We had a piece on DeWindyCity.com go up uh, last week, and I'm sure Jacob covered it for Cubby's Crib as well, about the rumors saying that the Cubs were going to be one of the key players in one of the three big shortstops that are going to be available this offseason. One of them, of course, is the great Carlos Correa of the now Minnesota Twins, longtime Houston Astros player. For those of you wondering, really quick before we get into the White Sox, Carlos Correa 
he did leave the Houston Astros in free agency last year. And you might be wondering, well, didn't he sign a three-year deal? Yeah, he actually did, but it's a player option for each of the first, each of the years. So it's the ability for him to opt out each time and choose a different team if he wants. If no team's looking for him, he could opt back into the Twins and continue making money playing there. And things have been going well for the Twins as a whole, but Carlos Correa in general has not been like the main reason why. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works out. Now, the other team in town, the Chicago White Sox, unlike the Chicago Cubs, came into this season with aspirations of being in the postseason at the very minimum. And so far, after a 30-31 and start, it's easy to say that they have not lived up to expectations. They are by no means out of it. I've heard people say the White Sox have no chance, this and that. Season's over. No, 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 no. That is not the case for the Chicago White Sox. Do they need to play better to avoid that from happening? Absolutely. But guys, in the 60-game season, they had the extended playoffs just like this year, and the Astros were 28-32, and and they made it to the playoffs and ended up being in the ALCS. Last year, the Atlanta Braves were a game under 500 at the All-Star break and made a trade or two and were in the World Series and won the World Series. Two years before that, in 2019, the Washington Nationals were 10 games under 500 at the end of June, and they managed to come all the way back. Now, I'm not saying, all oh, White Sox, go be 10 games under 500 and see what happens. No, they need to start playing better now. And it started with a three-game sweep of the Detroit Tigers this week. But first, I want to get to what I believe is their real problem. Tony La Russa is the worst manager in Major League Baseball. I believe that from the bottom of my heart. I watch this team every single day. I write on every little tidbit about this team, and I have come to the opinion that Tony La Russa is not the perfect manager for the Chicago White Sox. In fact, he is a bad manager for the Chicago White Sox. He had no hand in helping build this roster. Rick Hahn rebuilt this team from scratch, and then he was forced. Tony La Russa, once the rebuild was considered over, and it has shown. And it came to a boiling point for me last week when the White Sox decided to walk intentionally Trey Turner with a 1-2 count just because Freddie Freeman managed to find his way to second base with two outs. And they got to Max Muncy, who is not having a typical Max Muncy year. There's no doubt he's not having a typical Max Muncy year. But he's still Max Muncy and you disrespect a Max Muncy like that, and he's going to try to destroy your life, and he did. He had a three-run home run thanks to walking Turner. I don't care if Shohei Otani or Trout are at the plate with two strikes, especially with a one-two count, and Trey Turner's numbers against a one-two count, not very good. Actually, bad. And everything favored the White Sox to just pitch at him. And it was just disgusting. And the White Sox ended up losing the game by, you guessed it, two runs when they gave up a three-run home run there. It also it also just sends a bad message to your clubhouse. You're like, hey, you're Tony La Russa. I don't believe in you, Bennett Souza. I don't think you could get one more strike. What the hell do you have Bennett Souza in the game for then, Tony? If you don't trust him to throw one strike. Yeah, sends a bad message to the whole team. The whole team was deflated, and even though they were able to mount a comeback, it just was not a good look for them, and they deserved to lose that game all because of Tony. Now, in the last seven games, the White Sox have scored at least five runs, which is very nice considering where their offense was 
just a couple of weeks ago. And it's something that is very difficult to come out of when you're that bad offensively and nobody's hitting some of the best players on your team. Yoan Moncada, Yasmani Grandal, AJ Pollock, all guys who have shown that they can be great hitters in Major League Baseball, borderline MVP level hitters in the game. And don't try to argue with me on that either. Maybe not Pollock, but Moncada, 21st in MVP voting in 2019. Yasmani Grandal had an over 900 OPS last season. These are elite hitters in their careers, and this year has just been complete and utter dogpile. But over the last couple games, seven games, at least five runs, some of the games the pitching doesn't match up. Tony LaRusso likes to lie to people about what pitchers are available and make bad decisions, let guys like Tanner Banks go for too long or Jimmy Lambert go for too long. Kendall Graveman sitting there with his finger in his mouth, wondering when he's going to get to go in, even though he's the best bullpen arm available right now. Um, It's just not been good as far as that. But against the Detroit Tigers, the bats did come alive and the pitching did just good enough. And when I talk about pitching against the Detroit Tigers this week, it starts and ends with Lance Lynn making his season debut for the White Sox. Um, He joins a rotation that is loaded with really, really talented pitchers. And he kind of brings an attitude to it. I, I don't, I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, but I do find it funny that they haven't lost since he came back. It just seems like he fires people up. He got in an argument with Joe McEwing in the clubhouse or in the dugout where people were able to see it during that game, and they were arguing because Joe McEwing handles the shifts for the Chicago White Sox defense, and Lance hated the shift on one of his plays. Like You were able to visibly see him go like this after a White Sox player wasn't in his natural position. Um, And they got into it in the dugout. And then after the game, Lance told the media that it was because they were disagreeing on ribeye or um, I can't even think of the other stake that he mentioned, but, you know, try to make light of it. Obviously it's just two men competing and it's a big nothing burger in terms of future issues between Lance Lynn and Joe McEwing. But Lance Lynn fires this team up. The next day, Dylan Cease didn't have his best stuff, but he still only managed to give up one run. It was unearned, even though I hate when people bring up that it was unearned because it still was Dylan Cease's fault. Who tries to pick people off at second base with the bases loaded and two outs? That was just a little weird to me. But other than that, it was a good start for him, and hopefully these guys are really able to keep it going. Last week, Michael Kopech injured himself landing after throwing a pitch and kind of feared the worst. Like, oh, it looked like the ankle off the – first pitch or first glance at it. But then when you like really watch the replay and hear them talk after the game, it became apparent that it was the knee and it's like, Oh boy, a knee injury. Nobody wants to see a knee injury. That's not good. And then of course it turned out to be okay. He's probably going to make the start on Sunday against the Houston Astros, which is just wonderful news for the Chicago White Sox as they now really have their full rotation available to them. Dallas Keuchel, he's gone. Johnny Cueto gives them a better chance to win as the number five anyway. And then you run the big four of Lucas Giolito, Dylan Cease, Lance Lynn, and Michael Kopech. That is a rotation that when they are at their best, when they are the best version of themselves, which we have seen, them all have in Major League Baseball. That is a World Series level rotation. I do believe it. It's just up to them to go out there and be at their best. You know what I mean? It's just, it's not a guarantee by any means, and they need this offense to keep cooking. But it does feel like a recipe of, okay, the rotation's starting to come together. The bullpen's a little injured, but that's been the strength of this team for the most part this season, having a pretty good lockdown bullpen. And then the offense starting to come together. When I talk about the offense starting to come together, 
Grandal was starting to get hot until his little injury. He'll be back in a couple of weeks. I'm really not too worried about Grandal in the long term, but I was worried about Yoan Moncada because he hurt his oblique during spring training and it took him about a month to come back, month and a half, two months. And since coming back, he's been brutal. It looks like the oblique has literally hurt his ability to swing a baseball bat. And then, lo and behold, Tuesday night, he has one RBI double. And that, that was it. It was just an RBI double. It helped put the White Sox ahead a couple of, an insurance run, and they ended up winning the game. Well, then he followed it up on Wednesday with a five-hit, one-home run. I think it was three RBIs, four RBIs, a couple runs scored. Huge performance for Yohan Moncada. It's actually probably his biggest game since the 2019 season. I know he had a game-tying home run against the Yankees earlier in the year, but they ended up losing that game, so that kind of takes away from it. The White Sox ended up winning 13 to nothing, and Yoan Moncada's five hits were a big, big part of it. So hopefully he's able to keep that up. I think it'll be kind of pivotal to what this team's able to do this weekend against the Houston Astros. And when I bring up the Houston Astros, what do people think of? Yes, with them winning the World Series in 2005. Okay, you don't need to think about anything else when it comes to White Sox-Astros. Just kidding. They were eliminated by the Houston Astros last season, and it wasn't pretty. There was the one electrifying blackout game. You know, I was at both White Sox playoff games last year, but the one where they won was just absolutely incredible. And you can see what this fan base and what this team would be like if they were able to ever take a step in the postseason in the modern era. It's a little different than 2005. There's no social media. There's no, like, the personalities of both fan and player and coach and manager and general manager. It's all just a little bit different today that I think success in the city of Chicago is much needed once again, especially from the baseball teams and the football team, but we'll get to there in a couple months here, a couple weeks, I guess. Um, apparently, Justin Fields not looking too good, according to a friend of the program, Mark Carmen. But, you know, they're working on stuff. Um, I think the White Sox are going to be okay. I'm not looking forward to the series against the Houston Astros because it's a bad matchup for a lot of the people on the team we've seen. But you can't think about it that way. They don't have Correa anymore. They have a couple guys who are struggling they're still an elite team though. They're still the Houston Astros who have been one of the best teams in baseball for over half a decade now. So you got to go into the series. You got to get good pitching from Giolito and Kopech and see what happens on Saturday. Um, I'm looking forward to the series though. It's a great measuring stick series. You are no longer four games under 500. You gained a game on the twins this week, which is nice. It's going to be a rat race to the finish guys. Anybody who thinks that the white Sox are going to just pull away with a multi double digit, game lead like they did last year. I'm not sure that that's going to happen this year. They're going to have to really, really fight to the end. And that could honestly be better for them going into the playoffs. I'll tell you what, the White Sox might not be as good as the New York Yankees or the Tampa Bay Rays or the Houston Astros or, dare I say, the Minnesota Twins in the regular season. But would any of those teams want to face off in a five-game series against Lynn, Giolito, Kopech, Cease? where anything can happen in a short series? Of course not. So get yourself in position to do so if you're the White Sox. Tony La Russa, stop walking guys with two strikes and costing your team a game. Okay? We all want to like you, Tony. If you don't get fired and you win, we'll all love you. 
But as of right now, it hasn't been great, but the Detroit series, step in the right decision. Now go out there and have a good series against the Astros. They did have a good series against the Tampa Bay Rays last week. They should have taken two of three from the Los Angeles Dodgers, who are by all accounts the best roster in Major League Baseball. They've kind of been like the third or fourth best team, but they have the best roster in Major League Baseball. And the White Sox really scared them and gave themselves a chance to win. So go out there and do it again against the Astros. I believe they can. I just wanted to say thank you to Jacob Meisner of Cubby's Crib for coming on this show and talking Chicago Cubs with me. Of course, if you don't know, I, I said it earlier in the show, but if you're just tuning in, Cubby's Crib is fan-sided's Chicago Cubs page. We've had the expert for a couple different teams in Major League Baseball on this show. Now, and on the hockey show, on the flip side, um, I think we did – the Texas Rangers guy. We did the Nationals guy. Obviously, Gabrielle Starr has come on from Phillies and Red Sox. I obviously run the White Sox. So I like getting all those different fan-sided personalities in here and speaking some baseball with them. And Jacob Meisner is one of the best doing it for the Chicago Cubs. So make sure you go check out his work. And, of course, check out my work at SouthsideShowdown.com. TheWindyCity.com covers all Chicago sports, including both the White Sox and the Cubs. I... I can't state enough how great the Barroom Network is. So many great shows all over the network. I know I'm about to head into my weekend in terms of the Barroom. I, I don't have any shows on the weekend, but I'll be right back here on Monday ready to talk Chicago White Sox baseball with Gonzo, Zim, and Joe. Um, Going to be really, really fun. I mean, all summer long we're talking baseball, Stanley Cup final, the uh, Colorado Avalanche took a one nothing lead in overtime thanks to a really nice play made by Valeri Nachuskin to find Andre Burakovsky and gives the Avs a one nothing series lead. And by Thursday, three game or by Wednesday's bar down talking hockey, three games will be in the books. And Frankie and I will be here to dissect it all and preview the rest of the series for you. So great stuff coming on the Barroom Network. I got a couple big guests that I hope to have on both bar down and this show coming up in the next couple weeks. I think I want to keep it something fan-sided related for this show next week, but that's a little hint, hint for y'all. Um, very, very good stuff. Make sure you check out all 30 teams, people on fan-sided, guys. I mean, all 30 teams deserve to have their respect, and each one of them is equally as important because these are the teams coming through Chicago to play against our teams. You want to know about what the White Sox are doing when the Los Angeles Angels come to town? You got to read Halo Hangout. You know, when the Chicago Cubs have the Milwaukee Brewers, you want to read Reviewing the Brew. That's another guy we've had on this show. Um, it's really good, so I highly encourage it for everybody. And, you know, to all the people who have commented, watched, listened all week long, thank you very much. I'm very excited to get back into action next week. And, you know, one more time, thank you to Jacob Miser from Cubby's Crib. You can follow him on Twitter, at Cubby's Crib. And I hope everybody has a very, very, very nice weekend. Make sure you watch episode five of Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's one of the best episodes of TV show I've ever seen. And make sure you're following me on Twitter at Vinny Parisi. Make sure you're following at the Barroom Network, at Barroom Network. And as always, thank you for listening.